Do you want us to keep producing the best VCU men's basketball podcast out there? If so, there's a way you can help. If you enjoy this show, please consider donating to help us pay for the cost of making it available. You can do so by using the PayPal link in the description of the podcast or on social media sites where we post it. Even a small donation would help. Thanks in advance, and go Rams! Welcome to Rams Rewind, a podcast that looks back at all of the action from VCU men's basketball. After each game, our host George Templeton talks live on Facebook with Ram fans and gives his take on the team's performance. And now, here's George. Well, VCU rebounded from a pretty awful first half, and they played terrifically except for one particular thing, and that one particular thing nearly beat them and nearly gave me a, a complex. Welcome to Rams Rewind. Live here in the good and the bad and the ugly group. If you like what you hear and you want to help us out, you can shoot us some dinero like our good friend Carol Bolt did. Thank you so much, Carol Bolt, for doing that. We really, really appreciate it. Um, you know, <laughs> some alcohol would make me feel better, Jason, but I gotta I gotta drive tomorrow. And I'm glad you enjoyed the second half. Because I enjoyed the first half of it. And then, as Bruce Stevenson says, their inability to guard the three-point line nearly cost them the game. It's the one thing they did wrong in the second half because everything else was terrific. Everything else was terrific. But let me start with some of the earlier comments before we got going here. Um, And now it's – what is it doing? Why is it doing that to me now? Okay, there we go. You know, Dan Gaitanis says props to Shulga for making those free throws. And, yes. We do love that from Max Shulga, him hitting late free throws at the end of the game to win. And VCU had to be great at the foul line tonight, and they were, thank goodness. But Max Shulga and John Barristow both, but Shulga especially, is kind of both the arsonist and the fireman because, seriously, Eric Reynolds is too good a shooter. And they bottled him up in the first half. The only reason they weren't out of this game in the first at halftime, despite a horrific offensive first half, is the fact that Aaron Reynolds was 0 for 5 from the field. You know, they did a hell of a job uh, defensively. Other than Xavier Brown, nobody could hit anything for St. Joe's in the first half. And you and for whatever reason, they did everything else well, but they could not. They could not stay with Eric Reynolds. They were giving him, you know, they were tra- They were getting caught around the screens. Toby Lawal, you know, they do that screen and he doesn't step into him. He gets his hand up, which is good, but you can't give him any flipping space. Jason, you can't give a guy like Eric Reynolds space. And you may have to live with a layup because he'll pick and roll you and he might drive by you. That's okay. That's better than him getting hot from three, which almost beat him in this game. But that second half, unbelievable, that offense in the second half. Absolutely, absolutely superb from VCU. Um, And yeah, zero gravity, Toby Lawal was part of that. All those dunks. 
You know, didn't miss a shot in the second half, only missed a free throw, almost had 10 points in the second half himself. Um, and all of those were assisted. Great job of that. Here's another thing. They really struggled early in the game with offensive rebounds, and they were down. You know, they were they were down, they were down on that at the halftime by five points. They did get outscored in the second half on on second chance points. One of them because the wall tipped in a missed free throw. But without that, it was essentially the same. First six minutes, St. Joe's had four offensive rebounds. Last 30, you know what, last 34 minutes, they had five for the whole game. So did a good job on the backboard, VCU, in the second half. And won the backboard as a result, I think. Yeah, 39 to 30, 39, 32. So they were they were my, they were down at halftime. So dominant job on the boards. That was great. Sean Barstow, who looked again, I I he looked hurt, and I would not have started with him in the second half because he looked hurt. And he only had the two field goals, but he got them started in the second half with that with those the, the two foul shots and that big three, and then makes that ridiculous shot at the end. Yeah, and thank God for Joe Bamasil. Joe Bamasil heating up, and and God knows we needed it because of because he nearly matched Reynolds. You know, well, I shouldn't say he nearly matched Reynolds because Reynolds had six threes in the second half. Bamasil had four threes. It felt like every time Reynolds made one, Bamasil made one back. Bamasil six of seven in the second half, four for four from three, and and look, you know, this offense was really terrible in the first half. Six field goals, and they had oh, they only had five assists, and that's it. Joe Bradham, nineteen for twenty four for the game, but that's not even it. Fourteen assists on eighteen made field goals in the second half. That's when you know you're playing great offense, and they were playing great offense in the first half. The ball was getting stuck on one side. Roy Hibbert called that out early. They were not moving the ball side to side, and the, and the only thing that was saving them is that their half-court defense was supreme in the first half. Because quite honestly, uh, any almost all the good stuff St. Joe's had in the first half was either VCU not picking up the last guy on transition, and it was usually Xavier Brown and he hit a three, or it was second-chance points because it was 7-2 to two at the half, second-chance points. So, you know, without that, without that, uh, St. Joe's didn't have much, but VC was so bad on offense they had to lead. Well, Bear still comes out and gets five quick points, and before you know it, it's an 11-0 run with the LaWall dunks. And again, they had more assists at the under at, in the first four minutes of the second half than they had in the whole first half. They were cooking on offense, and they had to be because they let Reynolds get loose, and that's my only frustration is this should have been a rout because with, with, with Reynolds – it's just really, it is as simple as you have to have a hand in his face every time. And you know they're going to screen for him, and you've got to be able to fight around it. And Shulga and Barstow were particularly d- bad offenders. But it actually started with a transition three that got Reynolds going, and it was because Nelson and Fermin weren't really paying attention like they should have, turned the ball over. It ends up in Reynolds' hand for a transition three. He nails it. And away we go. And away we go. But VCU survives it. They survive it because they shoot 72% the second half. They shoot 7 of 12 from 3. My goodness. Incredible. 
you know, Nel, Nel, I mean, the Nelson three was great, was a great action. That was a great possession by VCU. Um, oh, Terry, see, Bruce, thank you, because I, I was going to get to that, but I'll get to it now. If they had lost this game, you could have circled three plays. The two, the first two threes, well, I shouldn't say the first two threes, the second and third three Eric Reynolds hit were quite simply the, the guys just did, the, the, his defender just didn't fight through the screen hard enough. Because at that point, VCU was about to knock St. Joe's out of this game and didn't. But that call, there's got to be something done about that rule because it is absolutely insane that they call a goaltend that's not there. VCU is clearly getting the rebound. There's no St. Joe's guy within 10 feet of the damn ball. It's clearly going to be VCU's ball, but because these whistle-happy morons blow the damn whistle before Shulga gets it, it goes to the St. Joe's on the possession arrow, and they score. Okay. Among all the other problems the NCAA has, and they have plenty, they're going to have to figure that out because there is quite literally their incompetence gave St. Joe's a second chance, which they scored off of. And in a game that ends up a four-point game, that could have cost them the damn game. Absolutely ludicrous. I mean, again, it is not as if this ball was going to go out of bounds and Shogun was either going to struggle to keep it in or was going to fumble it out of bounds. He clearly catches the ball. And, and look, if that's the rule, then the referees should wait half a beat, let the guy catch it, then make the wrong call, then go over and review it. And I continue to be peeved off with these stupid reviews when we didn't get reviews down in Florida. We never got them when they could have helped us, and when it, and when and when they did review stuff, it hurt us. So I, I'm I'm about had it with that at this point. You know, either be consistent or don't do it at all. But seriously, uh, the, the stupid referees sitting there. Basically inventing inventing a goaltend out of out of nowhere. Oh, and if they call, if they don't call it, they come can't come back and review it. There's sick. There's three sets of eyes there. One of you should have seen that. One of you should have seen that it wasn't <sighs> ludicrous. Absolutely silly. But man, this second half box score is a thing of beauty. Uh, one, two, three, four, five different guys have assists. Zeb Jackson had three, and he really got him. And see, Barristow scores, and then the next two plays are brilliant Zeb Jackson plays to feed Toby and get basket, and Zeb got this team going with that. So he had three assists. Barristow five, Shulga three, Kawani two, Nelson one. Just, just beautiful, beautiful basketball. Yeah, Toby got – the announcers were going crazy about that. Toby's nose – and maybe almost all of his face was over the rim there. But you see what this team is capable of. Now, I know what some folks are going to say. This is St. Joe's. They can't defend for love or no money, and that's true. They were a good defensive team in non-conference play, and that has evaporated in conference play. But let's be honest. After scoring 52 at UMass and looking like hot garbage, VCU needed to have 52 and a half like they did tonight. That's what they definitely that they needed an offensive half like that. Bearstow needed to see a shot go in. Because think of that. He makes that shot, that three-pointer, 
as part of the first five points of that second half. That was the first field goal he made since St. Louis with 6.54 to go in a game. So he would have missed, because in the first half he was 0 for 4. So he would have probably missed about 14 or 15 shots in a row. And just like with so many of our other players who've had shooting slumps, all they needed to do was see the ball go in the hole. Oh, what a win. God knows VCU needed it, but and it should have been. And the other thing is it should have been a runaway the way VCU was playing offense. But it wasn't because, God bless America, they let Eric Reynolds get hot out there. And I'm going to har- keep harping on that for this reason. You can't have that. Dayton, Richmond, they got three-point shooters who can do the same thing to you. Maybe not to that volume because Reynolds is such an amazing scorer, but you can't be leaving Kobe Brea at the UD Arena when we get there down there. You can't be leaving uh, doggone Jordan King for Richmond when we go over to the Dadgum Robin Center, I think in a week's time, something like that. Can't do it. Can't do it if you want to win those games and give yourself a chance. And, they, and at least they've done that. At least they've stayed in there. They've almost wrapped this doggone, this doggone buy up, this double, doggone double buy up. Two more wins will absolutely do it. One more win might do that. So, and of course, it's, you know, they've got a game that they should win in the midweek. We'll see about, we'll get to that in a moment. So this was a huge, huge game. They had to have it. If they wanted to give themselves even a squeak of a chance at catching any of the teams in front of them, would have been nice if George Mason could have turned up in Chicago yesterday. They didn't. And uh, Loyola Chicago pasted them from one end of that floor to the other. That was ridiculous. But all in all, it, I mean, God, you think about the Massachusetts game. And really, I mean, even though they scored 95 at St. Louis – that was that was five pretty terrible halves of basketball in a row. And then they come up with this second half, which again, except for Eric Reynolds going bananas against us, going absolutely cuckoo against us in the second half, was pretty darn good. Um, I, I'm still not with Toby starting because here's the other because here's what's gonna happen if Toby starts, especially tonight. He would have been out of the game real quick. Because Esondico was giving him fits. And, and it turned out fouling Esondico was, was the right play. He was three for seven from the foul line. You know, that's that's most of their misses, uh, St. Joe's. And again, four-point game, that is humongous, those misses by Esondico. So you, you, you look at that and you say, I, I, that's, that's one of the reasons why. I mean, look, the, the good thing about Fermin starting is this. Fermin can be aggressive knowing that Lawal's coming for him. And I think that's important. I think that's very important to how he plays at the start of games. So I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I still don't have a problem with that at all. My Again, my biggest problem problem tonight was, was just that we were so good perimeter, in perimeter defense in the first half, and then all of a sudden we just, we just forgot – we forgot to do the right things and give them credit. They were more physical, especially with their screens. It, but you know, you got to go, you got to fight through and go over them. Or you got to say, you got to step to that shooter and say, 
If you pick and roll and score, we're just going to have to live with it. I mean, that's the thing. 41% for St. Joe's is probably not bad. They were 12 of 29. Uh, but again, you know, that's the other thing. They were, they were, uh, looked like they were a little more selective in the, in the second half in terms of, yeah, well, no, it's about the same. They took about half, half their three, half their shots were three pointers in the first half, and it was the same in the second half. Meanwhile, VCU, have about half of theirs were, were, were threes, uh, but they were really good inside the arc. 11 of doggone 13 inside the arc. I mean, that offense in the second half. And again, I'm not going to sit here and say it's totally sustainable because St. Joe's is not a good defensive team. But at the very least, it was good to see VCU play a good half of basketball that wasn't necessarily, you know, frenetic. Because really, they scored all them points against St. Louis because we played the game on St. Louis's terms. This was way more efficient, way better basketball. The assists, the assists, uh, thank you, Mike Urbanski, for watching. The assists on the made basket show it, you know. And look, 16 assists, uh, 14 assists, five turnovers. How does that sound to you in a half? 14 assists, five turnovers. And there's a doggone cuckoo clock in the background since I mentioned cuckoo. VCO had nine turnovers for the game, which again, I know this ain't a great defense, but that's a positive sign that we have to enjoy because that's big. You know, that's that's one of the things. Turnover margin has been a problem all year. VCU's been way down there in turnover margin all season. So when you see games like this, where they only where they in this case, they only had one let they only had one more turnover than UMass. Of course, they got killed on points off turnovers every anyway. And they only had one and they had one less turnover. Uh, uh, on uh, tonight, and that was good. And Janet Gibson, you know, it's funny you bring that up because they were struggling with these bounce passes early in the year. Uh, Fermine and Lawal both couldn't couldn't catch a bounce pass to save their life. Uh, they at, at least they're starting to catch them now. Fermine still needs some work on it because he doesn't catch them cleanly as often. But doggone Lawal has, and and that's where the dunks come from. Goodness gracious, Lawal had a I didn't even realize that Lawal had a double double, sixteen and ten. Holy moly, that is uh, that is some performance. That is some performance from him, and and you know, team high with Bamisil in sixteen. And because I gotta say it again, we talk about Joe Bamisil's minutes. Joe Bamisil twenty five minutes tonight, and he gives you sixteen and seven, and he shoots the ball like he did. You know, after not making anything in the first half, he was because I think he was over at halftime. I mean, that's a th- that's a thing. Well, that's not it. Doggone it. Yeah, Joe Bamisil's zero for five. Sean Barstow's zero for four. Jason Nelson's zero for three. I mean, they really should have been out of this game at halftime, VCU, and that they weren't get is 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 a testament to how how good they were in half court defense in the first half. Uh, cause, because they had, and it had to be cause St. Joe's was St. Joe's got them a couple times in transition and they certainly got them on second chance points, but that, you know, VCU should have been, they could have easily been as buried tonight as they were against UMass and that they weren't shows you that their defensive effort was so much better. Not as good in the second half, obviously, 
but still pretty darn good. And again, really the second half is all about dead gum Eric Reynolds going off. It really is down to that. Because, I mean, they scored a lot of points, St. Joe's, but that's what it came down to. He's 6 of 8 from 3, and he's 6 for 10 from the field. You know, and Fleming's 3 for 3, and Brown's 3 for 4, and that's really it. It's those three guys. You know, Cameron Brown has been really good for him this year, gives him nothing. Lynn Greer is 1 for 5 in the second half. Asandico gave him nothing. You know, it was really those three guys that did it all, but it was really Reynolds. You know, you take Reynolds away, and this is a this is this is easy. They roll in this game. But that's why Reynolds is gonna end up either first or second all conference team. Um and and I'd certainly vote him there because that's what he can do, because he had nothing happening and he saw one go in the net and then all of a sudden they were all going – a lot of them were going in the net. And that's just, you know, that's all – that's VCU's fault as much as anything because they just – they let him get that one transition three and it's like don't don't let the, don't let that fire start even a little because before you know it, it's an inferno. And, yes, Bruce Stevenson, as we talked about, the foul shots were big. Nine to ten in the second half. They made, a, they made most of them down the stretch. You know, that's – it's just, it's just what a what a comfort it is to know that if this team gets fouled for pretty much only the second time in the last quarter century, that they're going to go to the line and they're going to make them. You know, the wall's four for six. Everybody else made all their free throws. Jackson, Barristow, Sholga, Kawani, and that's just you know that's all. That's what it's about, kids. You get to this time of the year, you got to you got to. Either be a really good three-point shooting team or be a good foul shooting team or ideally both. you got to be one or the other. And and look, St. Joe's is going to look at their foul shots and look at that Asandico missing four of them. They're 13-19, VCU 17-19. And as I always say, that when you get a close game, that stuff matters. So it's a win. It's 10-4, which means they stay on the heels of uh, Dayton, and they at least give themselves a chance. Uh, they, they at least give themselves a chance if they can get some help with Richmond and uh, you, and uh, and uh, Loyola of Chicago. The next game is Wednesday, and it's an early tip, 6.30. So that, that could be complicated for somebody like myself. Hopefully not, but you never know. Rhode Island Wednesday, CBS Sports Network, so... Hopefully, I'll be with you, and work won't take too long. But we'll see about that. And you know, it's this was this is by by the way the records look. This is the easiest game by far left in the, left on the on the schedule. So they've got to uh, they've got to go there and do and do the and do the job at home. Beat Rhode Island, and let's face it, they need to beat Rhode Island, and it'd be nice to see them get beat convincingly like LaSalle did today. So at the very least, we can freaking, you know, we can save some energy for that game at the Robin Center on Saturday, which goes without saying is gonna be gonna be one of the biggest games of the season for us. So wanna thank everybody in the in the video for the comments. I really appreciate it. Um y'all did a wonderful job as always with those that uh, that helps the podcast, makes it better. 
Thank everybody in the game thread. As always, the game threads are a lot of fun. I enjoy them. I really enjoy them tremendously. Uh, if you're not a part of the VCU Good and the Bad and the Ugly group, you should join us. Uh, game threads are always fun. These live videos that we do that are the podcasts that you hear in podcast land. Uh, we keep our eye on all the other teams uh, that are going on. Uh, you know, We had our eye on VCU baseball at their first home series this weekend. Won that with Mary Mack College. VCU women are continuing to fight for a top four berth. And we're going to take a nice little look at that during the week. We're going to we're going to put the schedules down with the other two teams that they're tied with, uh, Duquesne and um, George Mason. And of course, VCU finishes the season with George Mason uh, this weekend. So that means you know get out there to that Siegel Center and support them because that could be for a double buy. Uh, that would that's a huge huge game uh, for the Rams. But we've got one more game before that for the women as well. So. Before Wednesday, before their game Wednesday night, we're going to have a look at, at what's left on the schedule uh, in terms of the top of the conference for VCU and for the people they're fighting with. And we'll try to see if we can figure out uh, – we're going to try and see if we can figure out uh, how it's going to go and if, uh, if VCU can get the two wins that they need and get, and get that double bye that they surely deserve to get as well as they've played this year, 24 wins. Also, we are going to be due a Tales from the Non-Conference report updating how the teams that we played uh, are doing in their conferences because we are getting down, in some cases, to the last week of the regular season in some of these conferences. A lot of other cases, they're two-thirds, almost three-quarters through their schedule. So we're going to do that this week as well, plus VCU by the numbers, uh, which is always a fun part of our uh, – uh, of, of what we do here at the VCU Good and the Bad and the Ugly. So that's why it's good to be part of the VCU Good and the Bad and the Ugly, and you should uh, join us. So thank you all very much. I very much appreciate it as always. I look forward to hopefully speaking with you live uh, Wednesday night. Have a good night, everybody. To submit a question for George to answer in an upcoming episode or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities for this podcast, please email ramsrewind at gmail.com. We'll be back after the next game, and thanks for listening to this episode of Rams Rewind.